welcome to the WTJX newsfeed. In today's top stories, the Fredericksted Healthcare Centers announced a cybersecurity breach on their systems. We speak with their chief executive officer. Senators considered two nominations during a Committee on Rules and Judiciary hearing on Thursday. The Department of Education give insight into the progress of their 30-day project timeline to address issues facing schools. These stories and more on today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed, bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. On Thursday, the Fredericksted Healthcare Centers announced that a segment of its information systems had encountered a cybersecurity breach. To counter the potential threat and try ensuring safety of their data, the healthcare provider said it immediately initiated protective measures to include taking certain systems offline. We spoke with Masseri Sprawl-Webster, Chief Executive Officer for the Healthcare Center, to get details about the issue. We are working with um, our health information records vendor. They have a cybersecurity team that are um, helping us to, um, one, assess the problem, um, and to um, try and um, rebuild, rebuild the system so that we can get back in. Right now, we still have not been able to get back into the system. Responding to our inquiry, if this was a ransomware attack, Mrs. Webster stated that they just could not be sure at this time. But we don't believe, or we don't know. At this time, we cannot say um, what exactly, or you know, if they've looked at anything, but they've locked us out of the system and, and have encrypted what you know. Everything for us is encrypted, and we need a key, some sort of key that um, to unlock it, which we don't have access to at this time. And that's what the cybersecurity team is trying to um, unlock. We're not certain. We have not received a ransom, and they're still doing a forensic um, forensic investigation um, on it. They're working on it around the clock. We're hoping that maybe um, sooner than later, but at this time, I, I really don't have, we don't know much at this time. In response to services being rendered at their facilities, Ms. Webster said that they were still seeing clients at this time. We are seeing patients. We don't have access to their medical records, but we are seeing patients. So basically every patient is being treated as if they were a brand new patient. As we move through the news feed, in the wake of the elevated lead and copper levels detected in St. Croix's water supply, the USVI Joint Information Center on Thursday disclosed the results of the retesting conducted on sites across the Water and Power Authority's potable water distribution system. The results confirmed the presence of elevated levels of lead and copper above the 15 parts per billion action level established by the EPA. The Unified Incident Command is continuing further testing and investigation to determine the source and extent of the problem. The Department of Planning and Natural Resources and the Virgin Islands Water and Power Authority have found that flushing the water lines significantly decreases lead and copper levels, ranging from below the action level to the point of being undetected. WAPA says that they are continuing a robust flushing program 
to mitigate the presence of lead and copper. The initial tests that alerted WAPA to an issue were taken on September 28th and September 29th as part of an investigation conducted by WAPA, DPNR, and the Environmental Protection Agency to determine the cause of the brown and red water in the system. The government said that it is working with its federal partners to provide the necessary data and documentation to make a case for a federal declaration of national emergency by the president. A federal declaration will potentially aid the territory to the possibility of receiving resources for expanded testing, technical assistance, and relief to residents, particularly for those in the most vulnerable locations. During the initial testing, the areas of Mumbiju, S.A. Castleburg, Calcahoon, and Diamond were said to still have elevated levels following the flushing. The Department of Health's hotline remains available for residents to call from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday with health concerns related to lead in potable water and lead testing. Individuals may call 340-712-6299 or 340-776-1519. The Department of Planning and Natural Resources is also operating a hotline number at 340-514-3666. That's open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Tests for lead exposure is also available at the Clinical Laboratory at Sunny Isles Medical Center on St. Croix and the St. Thomas East End Medical Center at Tutu Park Mall on St. Thomas. As we move down the news feed, the Committee on Rules and Judiciary, chaired by Senator Diane Capehart, convened at the Earl B. Otley Legislative Hall on St. Thomas on Thursday. Senators received testimony considering the nominations of Clement Kane McGrath to the Virgin Islands Public Service Commission and Kasima Knight Hodge to the Virgin Islands Real Estate Commission. In Block 1 of the hearing, lawmakers received testimony considering the nomination of Mr. McGrath as a board member for the Virgin Islands Public Service Commission for the District of St. Thomas. Referring to the EPA forum held on Wednesday regarding the water quality issues on the island of St. Croix, Senator Capehart relayed that she requested more public education outreach and pleaded for the need for a sense of urgency on behalf of the residents of St. Croix. Mr. McGrath voiced concern over the lead found in St. Croix's water supply and stated that he believed the Public Service Commission should have been monitoring the water. As a laboratory scientist by training, it, I am really concerned about the lead in that water because lead is a, is a heavy metal that stays in your system for long periods of time and can cause serious damage. Personally, I think the PSC should have been doing their own water testing because part of their mandate is to ensure quality of service, that providing quality water is part of that. So I think the PSC should have been monitoring the water, especially after complaints started coming in. I think, I think we need to, the PSC needs to step up to the plate and take a more active role in what is going on there. Responding to Senator Franklin Johnson about the challenges faced regarding the Virgin Islands Water and Power Authority, he asked Mr. McGrath how he planned to take a different route than what has already been done to address WAPA. As you well know, uh, the PSC is also mandated to audit, to do their own audits of WAPA. And this has not been done in the past uh, for a number of reasons, uh, one of which is that they are underfunded to, to conduct such extensive audits. I think something needs to be done 
I think the vital contracting process was flawed, and I think we were taken advantage of. Um, but that's, that's something for the legislature to deal with. The nomination of McGrath was voted upon favorably and will continue to the full body for further consideration. In block two of the hearing, testimony was received considering the nomination of Kasima Knight-Hodge as the governor's nominee to the Virgin Islands Real Estate Commission. Ms. Hodge championed real estate education, stating that many locals were at a disadvantage, not knowing proper rules and procedures, as well as voicing concerns over high housing prices in the territory. When asked about her goals, Ms. Hodge stated that she wished to create a simpler process to file complaints to the Real Estate Commission and to show how the complaint process is proceeding. Mrs. Hodge responding to inquiry on the current housing difficulties facing residents in the territory. The current issues stem from just there has to be a further conversation than just buying and selling of property and land. There should be a further conversation deeper into education and paying close attention to the laws that we have at hand. The laws that we have at hand are a little bit behind how real estate is operated, period. And quite frankly, the people that get hurt the most are the members of the public. Mm. And speaking very frankly, it's the members... It's local Virgin Islanders. They don't understand what's happening. They don't understand the, the transference of wealth. They don't understand what is at hand. And you can never get that back for the dollar that you, sell, you sold it at. The nomination of Knight Hodge was voted upon favorably and will be considered by the full body at the next scheduled legislative session. Representatives for the Department of Education appeared on Analyze This with Neville James to provide updates on their 30-day timeline to address concerns facing schools in the territory. Following protests by students and teachers, the department responded with a comprehensive blueprint aimed at addressing issues raised in several schools. Speaking on the completion of some projects, Mr. Yancey Milligan, Director of Facilities Management on St. Croix, gave details on completed projects. Our facility are now um, dressed with proper battle fountain station. Um, at least three on our campus, so drinking water is theirs um, to the children need if they choose to drink the water on property. Um, we were suffering with windows, had a lot of um, situation with window operators not being, you know, working properly. Um, that is being addressed. We have over 80% of all the window operators in all the schools now working properly. No windows are opening and closed for sufficient air for the children to be more comfortable in classrooms. Um, we have situation as um, ACs. Uh, one of our biggest complaints was AC. So being able to have the AC, you know, on a timely matter, we choose to bring in fans in the meanwhile. So we got school like complex. Uh, we just completed a 30-day project last night, um, installing funds to over 14 classrooms. And that was classroom that was desperately needed, a better situation, uh, comfortable condition. Mr. Milligan stated that upgrades to the electric system at the Eulalie Rivera Elementary School slowed the progress of air conditioning units being installed in classrooms. Superintendent for the St. Croix District, Iriselda Herman, and Commissioner Dion Wells-Hendrington relayed and stressed that the department remained committed to transparency and accountability. 
the commissioner relayed that there was an update regarding maintenance to the St. Croix Educational Complex. As I mentioned, um, Springline Architects are currently uh, working on the modernization design for complex and in their assessment, um, it was brought to, to my attention that the roofing conditions at the complex and CTEC site have to be completely removed and replaced. And so for me, that was very startling because that was that is one of the um, newest schools in the territory mm -hmm. and it's experiencing um, um, great, great, great issues. So mm -hmm. I, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, we're, we're maintaining, but we're also working uh, to get the dollars in the territory yeah. to do the much needed um, modernizations and replacements across the territory. The department followed up later in the evening with a live discussion on their Facebook page, further addressing plans in their comprehensive blueprint. Speaking about CARES Act federal funding, Superintendent Stefan Jurgen spoke about the department's investment into personnel. We, we pretty much took those students that finished school in 2019 and they all came to the Department of Education and they started as laborers. But what has happened is those students, now that we're four years in, have transitioned to paraprofessionals. Nice. So that is filling a huge gap. We've also had paraprofessionals that have transitioned to becoming teachers because we've paid for them to finish school. And I thought that that was a, um, just a good investment long term. In more news, scientists and policymakers convened Thursday on St. Thomas for the 47th U.S. Coral Reef Task Force business meeting. The meeting was held at the West End Beach Resort and Spa at Frenchman's Reef. Carmen Cantor, Assistant Secretary for Insular and International Affairs for the U.S. Department of Interior, said that the healthy coral reefs are among the most economically valuable ecosystems on Earth, but occupy less than 1% of the ocean floor. She further relayed that coral reefs in the U.S. Virgin Islands are estimated to contribute over $200 million annually to the U.S. economy. Hilary Lohman, Coastal Resilience Coordinator for the Virgin Islands Department of Planning and Natural Resources Division of Coastal Zone Management, expressed concern about the lack of existing research on the loss of coral reefs to date, as global warming continues to wipe out corals through bleaching and disease. Earlier in the week, Governor Albert Bryan Jr. issued an executive order declaring the territory's ecosystems to be a natural infrastructure, critical for protection by the territory. The order mandates all Virgin Islands government departments and agencies to take administrative, enforcement, conservation, and enhancement actions, as well as to incorporate this directive into policies, procedures, and rules and regulations. As a result of the executive order, all Virgin Islands government agencies are now directed to collaboratively seek increased funding from federal agencies to protect or enhance natural infrastructure, especially before and after disasters. As we move through the news feed, the Virgin Islands Junior Dragster Program is making a comeback in the territory. Taking the helm to reintroduce the program to the Virgin Islands is St. Croix native Lenroy Cambran. The Junior Drag Racing Program originally started back in the day by Leslie and um, Rick Rickenbach. Um, so basically, we wanted to bring back the program just to, you know, give these children something on the island to do. Um, not every child wants to play baseball, basketball. Some kids want to do something different. So 
racing is another outlet that we figure out what I bring a lot of interest to serve certain kids. We got some sponsors um, through the CDRA and through Sport Department of Sports Park, Bates, um, Fleming Transport, um, Plaza Extra East, and we got some cars and we were able to sign up, did a sign up system to get some kids in a program. And basically, I trained these kids how to race. I trained these kids the mechanics of the car. I trained them how to just be an overall su- successful um, drag racer. Participants in the group underwent training every two weeks from Friday through Sunday for the last six months, learning the ins and outs of the race car. Following the training, six racers participated in their first races at the World Sport Compact in Orlando, Florida. They came up here and they did the thing. Um, they they came, they, they ran in front of almost 20,000 people, and they did very well um, for themselves. They definitely get, made the VI proud, they made us proud, they made the parents proud for how good they did. We inquired on future races in the territory. Yes, so one, so what happened is the cars are up here by me because I live in Orlando. So being that we live here, um, all the big events we know of here, which is the Sport Compact, and then they have one more, which is called the Sport Compact Finals. So the six kids that race in this event had the opportunity to race here, and then the, the next six set of kids will race in the next event in December. After that event, all the cars are coming back home, and then we will start having events with the CDRA every time they have a track event, they will have a junior track event with the track event. Being that the cars are already in the States, we might as well do two events to give everybody in the first class the opportunity to stay in the race in the States and then bring the cars back home. Mr. Cameron told us that an addition of just one new car allows for eight children to be added to the program. For information on how to get involved, visit the Virgin Islands Junior Dragster Program on Facebook. The Virgin Islands Law Enforcement Planning Commission and the Virgin Islands Juvenile Justice State Advisory Group Board have organized several events territory-wide for National Night Out. The annual committee building campaign aims to promote partnerships and camaraderie between law enforcement and the communities they serve. Events were held October 7th on St. Croix and October 13th on St. John. On St. Thomas, a community prayer and praise day will be held this evening at the Promenade by Waterfront and on Saturday, October 28th, the final event will be a walk from Emil Griffith Park to Emancipation Garden starting at 4 p.m. Also in more community news, the Humane Society of St. Thomas is hosting its annual Halloween Nightmare Manor at its campus located off Wayman Reimer Highway across from Costulas. We spoke with Carol Arbor at the Humane Society to give us some details. We're holding our annual big five-night Halloween event at the Humane Society. It's going to be from 6 to 9 o'clock at night. It's $20 for adults and only only $5 for children. It's full of animatronics, which are these moving props that talk and move. And we have special effects and um, the laser swamp. Uh, we'll be having um, selling hamburgers and hot dogs and homemade baked goods and cotton candy and candy apples. And every cent that comes in goes to the shelter. We want families and adults to come and have a good time. The Nightmare Manor will be open from 6 to 9 p.m. Friday through Tuesday. Admission is $20 for adults and $5 for children. Tickets are available at the Humane Society, Phoenix Visions Hair Salon, 
online at the Humane Society St. Thomas.org or by calling 340-473-6471. As we move through the news feed, we're turning now to our regional report. Leading the charge in oil discovery, Guyana announced a significant discovery made at the Staybrook offshore block. An appraisal well drilled by a consortium led by ExxonMobil resulted in a significant discovery of oil and gas. That's according to Guyana's Energy Ministry. Results from the well called the Lancet Fish 2 marked the fourth offshore discovery in the country this year and brings the total number of discoveries since 2015 to 46, accounting for more than 11 billion barrels of recoverable oil and gas. Most findings have been at Exxon's Staybrook block, where oil production began in 2019. The 6.6 million acre block is expected to generate up to 1.2 million barrels of oil and gas per day by 2027. The ministry added the reservoir is expected to undergo an appraisal process. The disclosure did not include an estimate of the number of barrel founds. In April, the consortium, which also includes Hess and Seanook, announced that it had found some 92 feet of oil-bearing sandstone at the well called Lancet Fish 1. And in Puerto Rico, the son of a federal judge who was convicted of first-degree murder in the death of his wife more than a decade ago pleaded guilty to second-degree murder on Thursday in a deal reached with Puerto Rican prosecutors during a retrial. Reporting from the AP News says that Pablo Caselles had won a new trial after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 2020 that criminal cases require unanimous verdicts. At the time, suspects in Puerto Rico could be convicted by a minimum of nine jurors, and Caselles had been found guilty in an 11-to-1 verdict. Caselles was convicted in 2014 on first-degree murder and other charges and was sentenced to 109 years in prison for the fatal shooting of his wife in one of Puerto Rico's most high-profile cases. In July 2012, at the couple's upscale home, where they lived with their two children, Carmen Paredes, 46, was shot several times, including in the forehead and chest. Caselles' father is a U.S. District Court Judge Salvador Caselles, a former Puerto Rico Treasury Secretary appointed to the federal bench in 1994. As we move through the news feed, we're turning now to the territory's weather forecast. Here's the latest look at your short-term forecast for the Virgin Islands. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. A few headlines to go over this afternoon. The flood watch is in effect for the entire Virgin Islands as rain becomes more numerous over the next few days. And the high surf advisory continues at St. Thomas and St. John for locally high waves near shore. This afternoon at St. Croix, we'll find numerous showers, especially as we go towards sunset. Temperatures will hold in the middle to upper 80s. Winds remain from the east at 15 to 20 miles per hour. At St. Thomas and St. John will find numerous showers as well. Temperatures a few degrees warmer in the upper 80s to near 90. Winds are similar from the east-southeast at 10 to 15. Tonight, numerous showers and periods of steadier rain are expected at St. Croix, even thunderstorms too. Lows fall back into the upper 70s to near 80. At St. Thomas and St. John, numerous showers and thunderstorms are expected throughout the night. Temperatures will fall back into the upper 70s to near 80. And showers will continue during the day on Saturday for St. Croix 
Temperatures only reach the middle 80. Winds are stronger from the southeast at 15 to 25 miles per hour. The chance for flooding will increase as the rain becomes heavier. And at St. Thomas and St. John, we'll also find numerous showers, downpours, and embedded thunderstorms during the day on Saturday with highs in the upper 80s to near 90. That's the latest look at your short-term forecast. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. We are at the end of today's WTJX News Feed. I'm Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. Be sure to download the WTJX app. And if you missed a part of our news, listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts.